Have you ever been in a car accident before? Unfortunately, I have uh, a few times. Um, but thankfully, nothing too serious. Minor car accidents for the most part. I do remember the first time I was in a car accident, though. I was uh, not too far into driving, just a few months, and I got into an accident. It was completely my fault. I kept driving as a woman was pulling out and just hit her. Um, everything was fine, no, no injuries, just, just cars were damaged, as we say in Lebanon, Hadid, right? It's, it's fine. Um, but I was terrified to call my dad. I didn't know what he would say. I didn't know if he would take away my car keys, if he would say I'm ground. I didn't know what he would do. Uh, but I had to call him because I didn't know what to do. So I called him, he came out, made sure I was okay, um, made sure the car was good. He handled the insurance stuff, you know, making sure that everything was okay. And then we went home and he helped me fix the car and that was it. He didn't rebuke me. He didn't say, why did you do that? Or how could you? And we were an idiot. None of that, none of that. He just said, it happens. You know, my, my dad has been a kid. He's driven a car. He's, he's seen how difficult it is to, to drive around. And so whenever I did something foolish, he didn't rebuke me for it. Rather, he was glad that I came to him and, and asked him for help. Fast forward many years, and I moved to Lebanon, and on day two of having a car in Lebanon, you get into an accident. Um, that's not surprising. That seems like more relatable to most of you. Um, this one was more minor, except my bumper just fell off my car. Um, I had gotten kind of wedged into a parking spot, and my bumper fell off. So I just picked up the bumper, stuck it in the back of my car, and drove off. Um, but I was, again, terrified to call my dad. I was embarrassed that he would say, you're not cut out to drive in Lebanon. I told you, or something along those lines. But again, eventually I called him and told him, and he said, it happens. And he said, now you know what it's like to drive in Lebanon. And that was it. Um, he didn't make me feel bad, which gives me confidence that I can come to him in the future. So if my human father with human weaknesses was so gracious to me, how much more will God be gracious to us? After all, God came to be with us. Jesus put on human flesh so he could live among us. And Jesus knows our weaknesses probably better than we know them ourselves. And yet, he loves us. That should give us confidence to come to his throne, and that's what today's sermon is about. We're going to see that Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses, and so we should draw close to him for strength. We're going to see how Jesus is exalted, Jesus is human, and Jesus is approachable. Let's start with prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, the way you love us. We thank you for the word that you have given us and that you brought us here today. Father, would you use this sermon in all of our lives, transform our hearts through the work of your Holy Spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our first point in our passage today is that Jesus is exalted. Let's read verse 14 together. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. We see here that the author of Hebrews is calling Jesus our great high priest. 
And so the point I'm trying to make from this is that Jesus is exalted. Now, a priest is someone who represents a group of people, represents a group of people before God. And so a priest amongst people would be exalted above them. Now, in Judaism, the high priest was the head of the priests, the, the most high priest of all of them. And so if, high, if priests are exalted, the high priest is even more so. And now Jesus is being called the great high priest. Now, only high priests were allowed into the presence of God, into the most holy place where God dwelt. But we see here that Jesus is the great high priest who passed through the heavens. So just like the high priests of old would pass through a curtain into the holy place, Jesus passed through the heavens into the presence of the Father. Jesus is the only human who has ever done this. He is the only priest to ever stand fully in the presence of God in heaven. How much more exalted could he be? Well, he's given the title, the Son of God. We see at the beginning of Hebrews, as Pastor Marwan preached a few weeks ago, that God calls Jesus his Son as a form of the highest exaltation. This isn't a question. The author of Hebrews isn't even trying to argue this here. He just says it. He says that Jesus is the Son of God. And the reason he says this is so that we would hold fast to our confession. To hold fast, to not let go. Whenever everything wants to pull it away from you, you don't let go. As the famous song says, you keep on believing. Don't stop believing. What do we hold fast to? The idea that Jesus is Lord. In Romans 10, that's what Paul says we confess to believe. It's, it's whoever confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. And that's the confession that we hold on to. We confess, we agree with the idea that truly Jesus is the risen Lord before the Father. We believe the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus, that while we are sinners and separated from God, that the second person of the triune God put on flesh and came and dwelt with humans and lived a human existence and died for our sins. He died as all humans die, and yet he was raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. And Jesus will come back one day. Jesus will come back and he will judge the living and the dead and he's going to restore everything to its proper place. That is what we hold fast to. That is what we believe. And as Christians, that is what we need to stake our lives on. Now, if you don't believe that truth, if you do not believe the gospel, what's stopping you? What is preventing you from coming to know Jesus truly and believing in what he has done? I invite you this morning to not delay any longer, but to come and to believe the gospel and then to hold fast to it. But this passage is not primarily concerned with the fact that Jesus is exalted. 
it takes that as a matter of fact. The concern is that Jesus is human. And that's what we're going to look at in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So the author here is arguing that our high priest is not so high that he doesn't get us. He's not so exalted that we can't come to him. But rather, we have a high priest who sympathizes with us. See, Jesus can sympathize with us because he is human. And because he is a human, he is dealt with all the limitations of the human body and the human condition. That word sympathize, it means to feel with. It's more than just like a head knowledge, like, yeah, I know he's weak. I know, I know they can't do it. I know she's incapable. That's not what it's talking about. It's a feeling. He feels with us. And so Jesus actually understands our life circumstances because he lived it. As humans, we all have limitations, and Jesus, being fully human, had those same limitations. Let's think about it. Jesus had 24 hours in a day, just like me and you, 24 hours to get all his work done. And like us, he had to sleep. Jesus actually had to sleep just to get his life done. Jesus would get hungry, and he would eat real food, bread and fish. Jesus would get thirsty, and he'd have to drink, real drink, water and and wine. Jesus walked around on his own two feet. He didn't like hover above the ground, you know, not exerting any energy. In the summertime, Jesus would get hot, and he would sweat. And in the winter, Jesus would get cold, and he would shiver. Jesus suffered. He was despised, rejected, shamed, embarrassed, falsely accused, and misunderstood. Jesus wept, and he grieved, and Jesus even died as every human does. In every way, Jesus was fully human and experienced life as a human. Now, you might be thinking that, sure, Jesus was human, but there's no way he felt what I'm feeling in this moment. My, my feelings are, are too far away from him. My situation is too different from his. Well, let me just tell you, the feelings that you're feeling today maybe sadness or loneliness or or anger, these aren't new feelings. These aren't feelings that weren't around 2,000 years ago. All these feelings that we have today existed 2,000 years ago. And while the situation might change, change, of course, Jesus can't understand the internet, uh, the feelings of the internet, or what it looks like to drive a car, but, but Jesus knows because he still lives. And Jesus knows what you are feeling because he is still a human today. Have you thought about that? That Jesus, exalted in the heavens, still has a human body to this day. He did not become incarnate for a period of time and then get rid of the human body and and now he's just God by himself. No, he put on human flesh 
and a point in time and is now fully human and fully God for eternity. So Jesus sympathizes with us today because he still lives as a human today. We also see that more than just our general weaknesses and limitations of life, Jesus understands our temptations. The scripture says that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. In every way, Jesus was tempted. We have a few temptations recorded in the Gospels. Luke records that Jesus was driven into the wilderness, and for 40 days he was being tempted by Satan. 40 days of fasting and temptation from Satan. And we see that at the end of that time, it says Satan had finished every temptation and he departed, waiting for another time. We don't see the mention of temptation specifically, but we see potential areas where Jesus could have been tempted. He tells his disciples that he is going to suffer and die, and Peter says, no. And in that moment, Jesus could have said, you're right, we're, let's get this show on the road, we're not going to die. But he doesn't. He sees it for what it is, a temptation to disobey the Father, and he says, get behind me, Satan. In the garden of Gethsemane, before Jesus is crucified, he tells his disciples, pray so you don't enter temptation. Which we can assume Jesus likewise was praying to avoid temptation. Jesus was praying against the temptation to say, my will, not yours. But instead, he overcame that temptation and said, your will, not mine. In every way, when Jesus was tempted, he overcame those temptations and trusted God. Now, maybe you're thinking that Jesus' temptations weren't really real. That Jesus is God, and thus he can't sin. So really, the temptations were kind of, eh, not, not real, not, not like we faced, like Jesus couldn't have sinned. So what are these temptations but kind of a show right? Wrong. Let me just make that clear. Uh, theologian Bruce Ware argues, and I agree with him, that while Jesus couldn't sin because he was God, Jesus did not sin because he relied on what humans have, which is the prayer and the word of God. So Jesus resisted temptation as a human relying on the resources God had provided, the Holy Spirit, prayer, and the Word. Let me give you an example that might help understand, because this was a difficult concept for me to understand. Uh, I'm going to use an example of a long-distance swimmer. Now, you might remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Marwan referenced Florence Chadwick, so I'm going to use her name just so it's the same, a uh, little bit of a continuum, but it's a different example, so don't check out and say, I've heard that. Florence Chadwick was a world-famous swimmer, a female swimmer who um, broke world records left and right. She's the first woman to swim across the English Channel from England to France. Now, anytime Florence would do these long-distance swims in the ocean, there was a boat with her. There was a boat that would trail behind or off to the side, making sure not to change her swim at all, not to help her in any way, 
But the boat was there in case Florence could not complete her swim. If she cramped or just got tired or mentally wanted to give up, the boat was there to pull her out of the water and make sure she didn't drown. Now, any time Florence completed one of her swims, we can confidently say that she could not have drowned because the boat was there. The boat was there to make sure she wouldn't drown, so she could not have drowned because of the boat. But it would be wrong to say that Florence did not drown because the boat was there. Does that make sense? She did not drown because she kept swimming. She did not drown because she trained to swim and kept going until she reached the end. The boat had nothing to do with her continuing to swim. And so in a similar way, there's going to obviously holes in every analogy, in a similar way, Jesus could not have sinned because he was God. But he did not sin as a human. He chose as a human to resist temptation, to fight temptation through prayer and the word of God, relying on the Holy Spirit. Now this is very important for us. Because if Jesus resisted sin as God, what hope do we as humans have? What hope do we have when temptation comes our way? Very little. But if Jesus, as I believe he did, resisted sin as a human, then we have every hope that like Jesus, we too can resist sin by relying on the power that God provides. So we can follow in Jesus' lead and trust in him when temptation comes. And now not only were Jesus' temptations real temptations because he was human, they were the most powerful temptations that anyone has ever felt. Because he was without sin. Because he never gave into the temptation. I'm going to read a quote from Dane Ortland. He wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly. I highly recommend this book, especially on this topic of how Jesus relates to the weakness of sinners. We have a book in the library. First one down there gets to check it out. But I'm going to read this quote. Stick with me for a little bit. Jesus' sinlessness means he knows temptation better than we ourselves do. C.S. Lewis made this point by speaking of a man walking against the wind. Once the wind of temptation gets strong enough, the man lies down, giving in. And thus, not knowing what it would have been like ten minutes later, Jesus never lay down. He endured all our temptations and testings without ever giving in. He, therefore, knows the strength of temptation better than any of us. You see, if he gives up when temptation starts getting hard, he doesn't know what temptation would have been like five minutes later. And we've all experienced this. Temptation stops the moment you sin. There's nothing else to be tempted to do. You've done it. You've sinned. Jesus never sinned. And so his temptation was the strongest that we've, ever, we've never felt. And he Continue to resist the temptation until you overcame it. So Jesus endured every temptation without sin. Now this is also important because 
You see, before Jesus and ever since Jesus, there has never been a human who didn't sin. From Adam till now, every human that ever existed sinned except Jesus. What that means is that Jesus is a new type of human. Fully human, but a new type of human. That's what Paul says in Romans. He calls Jesus the second Adam. Jesus is opening a way for a new humanity where we are in Christ, and thus one day we will be like him with human bodies that do not sin. And so as a full human, without sin, Jesus represents us before the Father as our high priest. You see, a a high priest must be of the same type of the people he's representing. You can't have a high priest um, of one species that's a different person. So Jesus had to become human to represent us. And as we said, he is still human today. And so as our high priest, he still stands for us before the Father today. Now, if we know that Jesus is human, we must rejoice in the fact that he is approachable. Will you read verse 16 with me? Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Jesus is approachable. Take note here that the throne that is referenced is a throne of grace. It's not a throne of judgment, although we know that God will judge everyone for their sins. It's not a throne of supreme authority, although we know that Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. But the throne the author wants us to focus on here is a throne of grace. Jesus' reign is of grace, and he extends his grace to all who approach him. Now, there are some who have in their mind that because Jesus is so exalted, because he is so high, because he is so sinless, we can't come to him. Some people try to use other mediators, other intercessors who might be able to, you know, put in a good word for us with a big guy, but that's not what we see in this text we see here that Jesus is the one who has come to relate to us, to know us, and to allow us to come directly to God. No other intercessors are needed. Jesus is fully sufficient for that. And so we come to his throne of grace with boldness, with courage. We know that if we come, we will not be rejected And he says that we will find mercy and grace. Now, in simple terms, let's define the difference between mercy and grace. Mercy, simply said, is uh, not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. So, with mercy, he says that if we draw near to the throne of grace, we will receive mercy. Now, that's for our sin. Mercy is needed when we sin. Because our sin deserves punishment. Again, Paul in Romans says that our sin deserves death. But we don't get death. We get mercy. 
Why? Well, because Jesus took death on himself. He died in our place so that God uh, would not have to give us death. Even if you don't believe the gospel, you have been shown mercy in the fact that you are alive right now. Every breath you breathe is the mercy of God. But don't take that mercy, uh, don't take advantage of that mercy. Don't presume upon it. Earlier in this chapter in Hebrews, the author says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You may not live another day. And so come to Jesus now and find mercy in him. You come to Jesus and you will live. We also find grace in our time of need. So if mercy is there, mercy is, is not getting what we deserve. Now grace is getting what we do not deserve. And so in this case, we come in the context to Jesus for grace in our temptation. So when temptation is strong or weak even, you come to Jesus and he will give you the grace you need to overcome the temptation. Remembering that Jesus was tempted in every way, so he knows what you're going through. He knows what you're feeling. And remember that he didn't give in. He never gave in to the temptation, so he knows how to empower you to overcome. And so, I call you to come near to Jesus in every moment of temptation. When you desire to open your phone and look at bad images, that's when you come near to Jesus. When someone offers you a joint to smoke, that's when you come near to Jesus. When you get cut off in traffic and you want to yell, that's when you come near to Jesus. When the darkness of depression closes in, that's when you come near to Jesus. When you look in the mirror and you hate what you see, that's when you come near to Jesus. When you're fearful about what tomorrow holds, that's when you come near to Jesus. When you fight with your spouse and you don't want to reconcile, that's when you come near to Jesus. When you complain about your situation, that's when you come near to Jesus. And when you're tempted, to trust yourself rather than God. That's when you come near to Jesus. In every moment of temptation, we are called, exhorted, and encouraged to come near to Jesus. He will give us the grace to stand in the face of temptation. So how? How do we come near to Jesus? Well, we use the same resources that Jesus used as a human. We pray. We go to the Father. We cry out, Father, I'm being tempted. Help me. Give me grace. We speak to our Father as a Father and ask for what we need, knowing that He won't turn us away, but will draw us close. We go to the Word of God and steal our hearts with the truth of the gospel. 
steal our hearts with the truth of who God is. And we use one another to overcome our temptations. We call a brother or a sister. We send a text. We are integrated in community so that when temptation comes, we aren't left by ourselves like a gazelle being hunted by a lion, but we are in a pack together knowing that we will strengthen one another and point each other back to the gospel. And why do we draw near to Jesus? Well, quite simply, it's because he is worthy. He is worthy of us coming near to him, coming near to him for strength. And we remind ourselves that Jesus is better than anything. That's what temptation is. It's saying that something is better than what you have now. But if you have Jesus, nothing is better than Jesus. And so when temptation comes, we must remind ourselves through prayer, the word, and community that Jesus is better than anything temptation has to offer. So brothers and sisters, do not delay in coming to Jesus. Yes, he is exalted, but that's for our sake. We have an intercessor before the Father. We have an advocate calling out for us. And in Jesus' humanity, he sympathizes with us. So, we can draw near and receive mercy when we sin and grace to overcome our temptation. Jesus loves you and he wants to be with you. So Jesus sympathizes with our weakness so we should draw near to him for strength. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for the way that Jesus has loved us, for the way that Jesus has sympathized with us, taken on flesh to know us more. I pray, Lord, that we would be quick to come to you, quick to draw near, knowing that in you is life. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.